Support for NHPR's Something Wild podcast comes from you, our listeners and subscribers, and from the Gundalo Company, offering public sailing trips, charters, and summer adventure camps on the Piscataqua River from Portsmouth, exploring the region's maritime heritage and environment. More at gundalo.org. And from the New Hampshire Department of Agriculture, Markets, and Food. New Hampshire's farms and farmers markets are full of fresh goods, rich with agricultural heritage, and available all year long. You can locate pick-your-own-farms, farmers markets, fairs, and more near you using the directories at visitnh.gov agriculture. I'm Dave Anderson from the Forest Society, and this is Something Wild. Today we're actually in the field on a Forest Society property in Stoddard the Crider in Rumroll Forests. Today we're going to actually take a look at the timber harvest that's going on and meet the forester and the logger who are working on this particular logging operation. We're standing on the landing at the entrance to a, a logging job, and there is crushed stone that's been put in place to cushion the arrival of logging trucks. There are piles of freshly cut logs, spruce, hemlock, pine, fir, these are softwoods. There's a overwhelming smell of pine pitch and sap on a summer morning. Most of the wood that's here on the landing is actually gonna be turned into useful forest products. And in this case, because most of what we see is softwood or conifers, it's going to be built, uh, dimensional lumber, two by fours um, for use in, in the building trades. There's also some hardwood logs. We're on the landing at the Crider and Rimrell Forest in Stoddard with Meadows and Timberland Forester of 20 years, Jeremy Turner, and his two dogs, Maple and Rowan. Jeremy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. As a managing forester for Meadows End, what are you doing for the Forest Society on this job? What's your, what's your main job? My job, my primary responsibility, I believe, is to understand the landowner's objectives of ownership and then the forest, this, pro, this woodlot's uh, ecology, to orchestrate uh, stewardship in a sustainable way and to uh, communicate to a logger and decide what logger with the best skill sets and um, uh, correct machinery to implement the work that we've prescribed. So I see paint on logs on the landing and I see paint on trees in the woods. You put that paint there. Yes. Why do you do that? That's a basic means to to identify what trees are going to be removed. So the logger is is efficient. His job is to cut and produce timber according to the forestry prescription and as most efficiently as possible. And communication is paramount, and that's just one of many, many ways we communicate to the logger. Another thing I've seen you do is tie pink flagging on some trees in the woods that are not going to be cut, unlike the blue trees. So again, that's a that's another way to communicate to the operator. And the pink, pink flagging is typically to identify uh, protection. So if, if, if there's trees that are wrapped in pink, that's a, that's a crop tree, it's a future tree. If it's, say it's four or five inches, well, that's 40 years of growth. So whenever we can, we don't want to uh, impact those, those crop trees based on future value. And also we'll flag uh, protection zones like wetlands, brook systems, any place where we want to protect. And, and oftentimes I've seen big trees that look like they could be cut that you're leaving and you haven't put blue paint on those. And in the past you've said those are going to be seed trees. So you're leaving trees that are economically mature to provide a seed source for the next forest that's coming in here after this timber harvest. Right, right. So seed trees, they're an older tree that have the record of, of genetics that 
uh, important to keep on site within the, the forested community we're working in to have that, that biological integrity to stay intact. And amongst that, create smaller trees over time to regenerate. So in here, I think we're gonna do what we call a modified uh, seed tree. So we're going to, we're gonna remove uh, the majority of the larger pine. And in, 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 in forestry, the, the way to think of it is, is basically you're trying to manipulate light, heat, energy, levels. And where are you trying to manipulate that light? In this particular stand, we're trying to manipulate that heat and, and energy to the forest floor because there's already existing small seedlings in place, mainly pine and softwood, which need a high level of sunlight. So we're going to release that through, a, through that type of cutting. You know, this, this owner isn't just about the, the uh, economics. It's a very important part, but there's also the, the recreational pursuit of neighbors and the, the people in town in the state of New Hampshire that use these lands for hunting, fishing, hiking, like this one has a major, uh, the Greenway Monadnock uh, Trail, yeah, and then, um, then you got the hunting, and then the traditional use of the camps, and the, you know, so there's this whole sense of places, this whole story here that is a lot more about just timber. And you're ultimately trying to balance all of that when you're walking onto a place like this with the plan in your head. But then on the ground, you've, you've got to actually make those decisions kind of on an acre-by-acre acre basis. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I gotta, I've got to consider very strongly the owner and then the land, right? And then, and then, uh, and then this gentleman, the logger, who, whose bread and butter is what we see here on the landing. So to make it, up, make it work feasibly for sustainable forestry, we have to prescribe and implement sustainable work for these people and then also the marketplace. So there's all these things that have to really work in parallel to make things long-term. So there's a management plan for this property that contains prescriptions and that prescription is written by the forester painting trees and the logging contractor actually fills the prescription like a pharmacist by coming in here and cutting those trees that were prescribed to be cut and releasing the trees which will be the next forest. So let's go meet the logger. We're standing out in the woods near a brook crossing with Todd Carmichael, who's our logging contractor. He's with High Tech Harvesting. Todd's been a logger for almost 30 years. Thanks for inviting us out on your job, Todd. Thanks for having me. Tell me about what a logger's job is on a job like this. Uh, just try to remove all the product that the forester has laid out, um, you know, for the best forestry of the job and get it to the land in the best way I can. So safety first, obviously, and these are some really big machines. Um, you've got this cutter, a feller buncher, and what's the machine we hear in the background? A forwarder. That's the one that actually brings the product to the land in. So you're all about taking the wood that the Forester Jeremy's marked and getting it safely out of these woods and onto the landing. Correct. Is that easy? Uh, it can be. It's a lot easier now with these than with a chainsaw. And you know because you've done both. Yeah. Do you ever meet people who come out on the job and talk to you as a logger? Most people haven't had a chance to meet a logger. Oh yeah, I get a lot of visitors. They want they come out, ask what's going on, and and they watch for a little bit because uh, they're pretty interested in machines to watch work. They do a lot of work. They're also very expensive machines, so you want them to be running. Right, right. And somebody told me that you know breakdowns are a part of life for most loggers, especially with this stuff. Even when I mean these are all new machines and they they break down. Yep. So you've got welding, you've got, every day you've got to lube these machines. Yep. And 
Are you your own mechanic? Um, pretty much, unless it's... These machines are still under warranty, so... <laughs> <laughs> the, the dealer takes care of most of it, mm -hmm. if it's serious, you know. I do all the easier things. I mean, I can do other stuff. This is a, a harvester, a cat harvester. Inside the machine is a computer screen that reads down to the measuring wheel on, on the head and it tells me my lengths and everything in there and then I so, say I cut a pine tree down and I select a 16 foot log, I push a button, it goes to 16 feet, when the light turns green I cut it off. And th these, are, these are your lemon knives which take the limbs off as it's rolling up through the, the head and then all the brush is piled right in front of you and you just drive right over it and it makes a mat. And that takes all the limbs off and everything, and it's piled up in my folder, comes behind me, picks all the product up, brings it to the landing. Everything that we bring to the landing is a, a product that you actually make money for. You're not, all the slash is left right out in the woods. We, we use it to make a blanket to run the machines on to keep you out of the mud, and it allows you to work longer, and, and it's better for the ground. Uh, when I get up to a tree, I can cut a tree down and have it processed into a pile in a uh, little over a minute. We're getting to the back of the job, and I'm back with Jeremy Turner, the forester. At the end of the day, what is your goal for coming in? Why are we doing this forestry in the first place? We're here to demonstrate that um, ecologically sound Harvesting can be um, implemented long-term with keeping the needs of people, uh, the demand of products and uh, wood use, so the economics of it, and, and then um, just the, the ability to maintain a, ha a healthy, aesthetically pleasing uh, forest for, for the wide array of, of stakeholders and user groups of recreation, so from a social end. Um, so there's all these things that we're trying to demonstrate and for the long term. And ultimately, what will this forest look like in 20 years? I'll have to come back and see, Dave. Mm -hmm. What would you like this forest to look like in 20 years? I'd like this forest to be um, vibrant, uh, uh, dynamic, uh, stable from a biological standpoint. That's very important down the road with climate change. So resilience and having as many parts of the cog still in place and working very well. And, um, so diversity of species blends and, um, and then different, obviously different age classes of trees. Jeremy, I really want to thank you very much for coming into the woods with us today. Thank you, Dave. Actually, you're in the woods every single day, so I guess I'd like to thank you, Jeremy, for letting us join you in the forest today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. The, the, I mean, and the goal is, and the hope, I think, for all of us is that we would continue to have opportunities to manage forests in New Hampshire. This provides periodic revenue to us as a landowner that enables us to pay taxes, and it's really important that we have the ability for forest land to pay for itself, ultimately, without the ability to cut trees and retain our social license to do responsible forestry, uh, we may actually lose the ability of forest lands to pay their own way. Uh, to see more of our trip to the forest with uh, Jeremy Turner and Todd Carmichael, visit nhpr.org where you can see photos of today's interview. And as always, Something Wild is a joint production of the Society for the Protection of New Hampshire Forests, New Hampshire Audubon, and NHPR. For Something Wild, I'm Dave Anderson. Yeah.
I got, I got no copy. I'm working with it. Don't use that as another thing. I'm Laura Canoy. The exchange has been going local all summer, exploring the unique regions of New Hampshire. And as part of our series, we'll be heading to Keene, the heart of the Monadnock region, to discuss the biggest issues facing that area and what residents love most about their home. The show will be live at Keene State College on August 16th at 9 a.m. So reserve your free tickets now at nhpr.org events.